Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. All right, well, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8. We'll be there in just a moment in Luke chapter 8, and I, I am uh, happy to continue the series that you all have been going through. The book of Luke, Luke is probably one of my uh, favorite writers of scripture. He wrote, of course, the book of Luke, and then the book of Acts as well, really a continuation. It's kind of Luke, Luke volume 2, really, if you read uh, the book of Acts. And then... Um, and then uh, some people even think that he had a hand in writing some of the Pauline epistles just because he traveled with Paul, and we learned that in the book of Acts as well. But I love reading uh, the way that he outlines stories. He was a detail-oriented person. You can tell that not only just because he was a physician, he was a doctor, but just the way that he writes, you can tell that. But uh, we'll get to that in just a moment, okay? So hold your place in Luke chapter number eight. I am glad to be back at Moses Lake Baptist Church. Anytime we're able to come back here uh, is a blessing for me because uh, I get to see old faces, faces, and I don't mean, when I say old faces, I don't mean like you're getting old, although we are all aging, all right? But uh, faces that are familiar to me uh, from coming here. Uh, for that, that amount of time that we were able to do the music here and, uh, and really got to wear a lot of different hats while we were here. But uh, one, one of the things that I love seeing on top of people that we already know is I love being here and I see so many new faces every time we're here. And there's many of you, I'm looking out and I'm like, who in the world is that and that and that and that? And that's exciting to me because that means there's growth. That means that the Lord's working here and I'm excited to see it every time that we come back here. Um, today we sing... One of those, uh, that song, Behold, uh, Before the Throne of God Above, probably one of my favorite songs, or, or I should say this, within that song holds some of my favorite lyrics that have ever been penned. And it's that second verse we sing that says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. And because that sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him. And pardon me, man, when I sing those words, I, can't, I almost cry every time I sing those words just to think of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And as a result, we are seen as justified before God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus is the difference maker in our lives. And I know we'll see that a little bit uh, in our passage today. Well, uh, I do wanna say before I even get into the message if this is your first time at Moses Lake Baptist Church, maybe you're uh, new here, and you, or maybe last week was your first time, and you still haven't met Pastor, uh, Pastor Dennis yet, I'll say this. Come back next week and meet Pastor Dennis. Uh, one of my favorite people. He's one of my best friends, and uh, just the love that he has for people is always such a blessing uh, to anyone who gets to experience that. And so uh, if you've not yet met him or heard him preach, come back next week. I know he'll be a blessing to you. And then speaking of Pastor Dennis, all right, how many of you miss your pastor? Yeah? A few, you're like, I miss my pastor. It's been too long. It's only been two weeks, but that's a long time when your pastor's gone. So I'm gonna do something right now, okay? I know just from being a pastor and when you're away, you miss your people. So I want you to do this. How many of you have one of these devices right here? A phone? 
okay? Good amount of you have a phone. Now, most of you are like, I have it, but are we allowed to take it out in church? Yes, okay, for right now, I'm giving you permission. If you have Pastor Dennis's number, Miss Hannah's number, or one of their kids' numbers, or maybe you're friends with them on social media somewhere, I'm giving you permission in the next five minutes message them or text them and say, I miss you, can't wait to see you next week, all right? Or maybe you have an appointment with them later this week and you're like, can't wait to see you. Just tell them you miss them and that you're excited for them to come back. I know that'll be a blessing to them because just being a pastor, I know when you're away from your people, the people that God's called you to, there's a, there's a heart burden there that's like, that's where I'm called to, and I know I'm, uh, I'm called in this moment to be a blessing somewhere else, but there's still just that heart tug, and I know it'll be a blessing to his heart and to their family's heart if you reach out to them. So if you do that anywhere else in the message, I'm gonna call you out in the middle of the message, okay? But next five minutes, you're allowed to have your phone out, message them, let them know uh, that you are excited to see them next week. I did want to just take a moment, for those of you who don't know us, and introduce ourselves a little bit. I'm uh, Micah Bosworth, and I'll put a picture up here of my family because they're way more beautiful than I am, and uh, everyone likes seeing them. But my wife, Rebecca, right there, she's actually, she's sitting right over here, and uh, which is awesome. Anytime she's willing to listen to hear me preach, it's a great day. So I'm glad that she's here. Uh, and then our daughter, Felicity, right here on my side, uh, she is five. Uh, actually, she just turned six. So, um, sorry, I'm still getting all of this. I'm a dad, okay? I'm not a mom. I don't got to just like on recall real quick. But then our other daughter, Ellery, right there is three. And then our twins, Grant and Grayson. Grant is the one I'm holding. Grayson is the one Rebecca's holding. Uh, they are 17 months. They're about to turn a year and a half. And they are spitfires, if I ever saw one. Uh, they are crazy. And some of you I know... Uh, have experienced twin life in some way, whether you've had twins or have twins in the family somewhere, you know how crazy that can be. And, uh, and so I just ask prayer, guys. We are trying to survive uh, because it's, it's, a crazy, it's a crazy life, but it's a, it's a fun life, and it's definitely rewarding, and, uh, and we love every minute of it. Well, Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue the series Encountering Christ. And what I love what I love about this part of the story is it's somewhat of a continuation of what you talked about last week, what Pastor Robert brought uh, last week, looking at Jesus having power over even the winds and the waves, even over the elements of nature. Jesus was able to calm the storms all around them. And I love when you look at that, you see that truth, that the storms around us, there's often tumultuous things going all around us. I mean, just look at our world. You're like, what is going on around us, right? But isn't it such an amazing truth to know that God is in control of all of that and that he can calm the storms that rage around us? But what I love, what we're going to see this week in our passage today is that not only can God calm the storms around us, but God can calm the storms within us. And we see that here through the life of this maniac that Jesus encounters in this area of Gadara. So Luke chapter eight, I'm gonna read verses 26 through 39, and then we're going to dive right into it. So the Bible says this. It says, and they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, they being Jesus and his disciples, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, when he stepped out on that land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils a long time and wore no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God most high? I beseech thee, 
torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters. And he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him saying, what is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there and heard of many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. He allowed them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also which saw it told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him, Jesus, to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now, the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, let's just take a moment and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning before we even dive into the message. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask, God, would you help us in this time to have open ears to hear from you? Lord, open minds to understand. And Lord, would you give us open hearts to to, with our will, with our volition, Lord, make a decision based upon what we hear. God, help each and every one of us that when we hear it, not to just hear it, but Lord, as James says, that we would be doers of the word. Lord, give us the grace and strength that we need to apply what we hear this morning to the way that we live for you this week. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, some people, when you meet them, they have such a profound impact on your life that you end up remembering a lot about them. Maybe you even remember some of the things that they said to you. I uh, know as you read through the scriptures, this happened often with uh, interactions with God and his people, especially uh, the, when Jesus interacted with people, it, it dramatically changed them in a way that caused them to remember the things that he had done in their life and had caused them to remember the things that he had said to them. But you know, not, uh, not just encounters with Jesus uh, happen like that in our life. Some of us, we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. We know the impact of the things that were said and that he has done in our life. And we remember those things because of his impact. But even just our uh, everyday going on about of life, we come across people, we come across uh, individuals who make a profound impact on our life. And we remember the things that they did and the things that they say. One such man in my life was a man by the name of J.T. McCracken. Now, some of you, if you've been here for a while, you know a man by the name of Dave McCracken, the evangelist, the preacher. He's come here a few times. A madman. I, I said in the early service uh, that 
Uh, Dave McCracken is probably the closest to the going-ons about of the maniac of Gadara and all the craziness, but still with a sane mind. Because if you watch Dave McCracken, he jumps. I've seen him jump up on pulpits. He flips his uh, suit jacket and acts. And it looks like he's about to take off like a bird when he does it. I mean, it's just crazy how he acts in the pulpit and how he preaches. But uh, Dave McCracken, his father, J.T., uh, when my dad was in Bible college for a time, we went to a church in the Oklahoma City area and uh, a little church called Suburban Baptist Church. And it was in one of those suburbs of Oklahoma City. And J.T. McCracken, he, uh, he attended the same church as us. And me and a bunch of my friends, what we would do is we would sit right on the front row. All right, we would sit right on the front row uh, to get, as they call them, the showers of blessing, right, from the pastor as he was preaching out. And uh, we would sit right there, right, uh, trying to listen. But what would always happen is J.T. McCracken would sit right behind all of us rambunctious boys. And all of our parents had given uh, Brother J.T., had given him permission uh, to flick us in the ear if we misbehaved in the middle of service. Now, to understand the the gravity of what I just told you, you have to understand that uh, J.T. McCracken is a huge guy, was. He uh, went on to be with the Lord several years ago, but he was a huge guy. Uh, I mean, just one of those bolstering voices whenever, uh, in fact, there were a couple of times, has this ever happened to you where you're starting to fall asleep during the message and someone goes, amen, and you go, huh, what, okay? It was kind of like that, but uh, we're we're kids, we're kind of getting distracted or something and just this big bolster, amen, like right behind it, whoa, what just happened? But he had these huge hands and these huge fingers that uh, that I feel like his fingers were as big as my head, but I know his fist was. Uh, and what he would do is if I would start acting up, he would just flick me in the ear. My ear, I mean, it hurt. It was, it was uh, swelling. You could barely listen to the message because your ear was hurting the rest of the message because you acted up. Uh, I say all that, to, no, uh, I'm getting somewhere with this, okay? Just uh, good memories with me with uh, Pastor JT. But one thing that uh, he used to always say that stuck with me as I would learn from him growing up is he would always say this statement. Anytime something happened in the middle of our church, like they would say, you know what? This happened where uh, we were able to raise this amount of money. Some random person gave such and such amount of money and we're like, what in the world? How did that happen? Or someone got healed from cancer or something to the extent of some miraculous thing took place. He would always, in that big bolsterous voice, say these things just out loud in the church. He would go, that's not odd, that's God. That's what he'd say. That's not odd, that's God. And I remember that just stuck with me all throughout my life. And one of the reasons I bring that up is because the story we look at today is one of those odd occurrences of scripture. It really is. I mean, it's talking about demon possession. Uh, But what I hope that we'll find by the end of the message is that what takes place is not odd, it's actually God at work. And it's something only Jesus could do. But talking about demon possession, it is an odd occurrence. It's pretty rare in scripture. And and there are all kinds of theories and interpretations as to what is happening in these circumstances. And what I want us to do is we're we're not going to scoop past the the idea of what took place, but but we're also not going to be obsessed with it. One thing that I was reading, C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, about demons. He said, one is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And then he said this, they, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors. 
So today, we're going to steer clear as well as we can of both of those errors. So in other words, we're not going to explain it away. This took place. But we're not also not going to be obsessed with uh, speaking all about the demon possession. Because there's, there's one approach that would say that the people of this time, they didn't uh, have the same scientific understanding that we do now. And so that therefore they wrongly uh, thought that people with chemical imbalances and neurological disorders were demon possessed. Uh, they, they might say, well, because we're enlightened, we know there wasn't actually demon possession. It was just chemical imbalances and all that. And they didn't know that yet. And so it wasn't really demon possession. But the problem with that is if that's the case, then Luke lied to us. He lied to us because it could not have happened the way that he describes it happening if there were not actually demons involved. So we believe this happened the way that Luke describes for us. But, but at the same time, we're not going to obsess over the demon possession. What I want us to do in the message this morning is focus on who I believe Luke is trying to get us to focus on by the details that he gives, and that is the person, Jesus Christ. We're gonna focus in on Jesus. See, the, this demon-possessed man, he had been discounted and disregarded by everyone else. His own community had disregarded him. His own community had discounted him. The the Jews on the other side of the Galilee uh, of the sea had discounted him. They saw the people of this area as unclean and as uh, the, the Gentiles and even Jews that would have lived on that side of the Galilee, they would have seen them as people who rejected Judaism and were willing to live unclean lifestyles. So even the Jews on the other side of the Sea of Galilee would have discounted anyone on this side. But even the people in his very community had discounted him. And yet, though everyone else had discounted this man, Jesus had not. Jesus had not discounted this man. By all human accounts, this guy is so far gone that he has no hope for transformation. And yet we see a transformation take place. It's truly something that only Jesus could do. And and what I hope that we'll discover together this morning as we study the passage is that Jesus can do the same work in you as he did this maniac of Gadara because he is God. And we'll see that he can do this work for us by looking at these four statements, all right? I'm going to give you the outline right at the uh, the get-go. We're not done, okay? We're going to go through the outline But here's the four statements I want us to consider through this passage, and that is this. Jesus can do this work for us because, one, Jesus is powerful for you. Two, Jesus is loving toward you. Three, Jesus is transforming in you. And then lastly, we'll see that Jesus is purposeful through you. So let's uncover that first statement that Jesus is powerful for you. Jesus is powerful for you. We see this throughout the entire interaction between Jesus and the demons. I want to bring your attention to verse 28. Look at it. It says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. Did you catch what the, they called Jesus there? What did they call him? They called him the son of God most high. And they begged him to not torment them. So, so these demons, they recognize Jesus's prominence and preeminence in the fact that they acknowledge him as being the son of God most high. 
But it's intriguing to me that they also ask him not to torment them. I mean, think about that. That's, a, that's quite a statement because think of who these people are. Jesus is so powerful. Jesus is so powerful that those whose very occupation is tormentor. Anyone that you see possessed of demons in scripture were tormented by them night and day. Some of them were thrown in fires and thrown to trying to be drowned by the spirits that lived within them. So these demons whose very occupation is tormentor are fearful of Jesus's torment. That's power, I would say. That, that we also see Jesus is so powerful that those who personify fear and, and who propagate fear in others are fearful of him. So we already, by their very words, see this man has power. Jesus has power. But let's continue looking at this interaction. Jesus, he asks them, he asks the man, what is your name? And the man says, Legion, because there were many demons inside him. Now, that's a scary name. That, that's a, a scary name. Just the name Legion itself can instill fear. A few years ago uh, in Seattle, their football team, uh, the Seahawks, so they, there was a defensive section uh, that were, they were so good, they called themselves, does anybody remember, the Legion of what? Boom. The Legion of Boom. Why? Because they knew that sounds, fear, that sounds scary, right? A legion of boom coming at you. Uh, and, and boy, did they personify that uh, through those seasons that they won that Super Bowl and everything. But, uh, but that word legion is, is just a scary term. And I don't know if you're like me, but, but just I, I, when I read scripture, I put myself like into the story as a bystander watching it take place. And I, I picture myself if I were to be standing there like one of the disciples and Jesus says to this man, in fact, if you read the Matthew account, there were two maniacs here. He would have been speaking to two men. For some reason, Luke and Mark only focus on one of them, most likely, I believe, because one of them was sent out, as we'll see toward the end of this passage. But, but Jesus speaking to these maniacs, to this maniac, and says this, all right? Says, what is your name? And I, don't, I picture it like all of them speaking at once out of the man going, legion. I'd be like, let's back up a little bit, right? <laughs> what did he just say? Legion? That seems a little bit scary to me, especially... If you understand this, that a legion in that day in a Roman army is what they called a group of 6,000 armed soldier with soldiers with 120 horsemen besides. Now, do we know that there were 6,000 demons in this man? Not for certain, though we can assume there were at least around 2,000 because the book of Mark tells us that that's how many pigs were, uh, were possessed and then drowned was around 2,000. But, but th th this is a scary thing to take place. But then look at verse 31. And they, these demons, besought him, Jesus, that he would not command them to go out into the deep. Now, that word there translated deep is the Greek word abusos, not applesauce, all right? Abusos, it's where we get the idea abyss, like the abyss. In fact, the other times that it's used in scripture, it's seven times in the book of Revelation. It's talking about that bottomless pit in the book of Revelation. And I believe that's probably what they were referencing to here, which tells me this. They understood that there was a place reserved for them for judgment, they, they uh, I don't want to go too much on a rabbit trail uh, talking all about this bottomless pit, but let's suffice it to say this. They don't want to go there. 
Don't send us to the abyss. Don't send us to the deep, Jesus. And so they request, they give a request to Jesus. They ask permission to go into this big herd of pigs that's over here on the side, and Jesus gives them permission. You know, it's interesting to me that the demons are displaying faith here in things that some Christians often don't even believe in. They believe Jesus is God, son of God most high. They recognize him as such. They believe in a future judgment. They know that it's coming. And they believe in prayer. They, they request something of Jesus. But, uh, but they ask Jesus, send us into the pigs. And he allows it. And then as they do, we see that the pigs, they go crazy. They jump off a cliff into the water and they drown. And you might have heard that this is the first ever occurrence of deviled ham, right? <laughs> or, of, or of swine flu, right? They committed suicide. Okay, I'm done. I, none of those are original with me, uh, but I thought they were funny, so I was gonna say them. But, but what do we see here, right? What do we see here? We see the power of Jesus on display. That's what we see here. The forces of darkness recognizing Jesus as the son of God most high. They understand he has the power to throw them into judgment, that he has the authority and the power to defeat them. And they understand they can do nothing apart from his power and authority, allowing them to do so. So they ask him permission. And I don't know about you, but that says to me what power Jesus has. Jesus has tremendous power. And here's the truth for us this morning. Jesus's power has not waned from that day to this. It has not waned. His, just as powerful as he was then, he is and can be in our lives as well. You may not be demon-possessed. Demon possession certainly seems to be the most extreme demonstration of the agenda of our enemy, Satan, in trying to bind people up and make them slaves to something. You may not be demon-possessed, but the truth is many people are bound by things that are harming them. Many people today, even Christians, are bound by the sin of lust, of, of, of pornography, of, of substance addiction, of pride, of greed, of worry, of the fear of man. So many Christians are gripped by things that are harming them. And the truth is this, just as Jesus had power over that which was gripping this man, he has power to overcome that which binds you as well. He does. He has the power to break those chains in your life. And the truth is he wants to use his power on your behalf just as he did with this maniac of Gadara. Because not only is he powerful for you, but he is loving towards you. Jesus is loving towards you. Think about the description of this man. If you go back and read verse 26 and 27, the description of this man says he was unclean because of his lifestyle. He was unclean because of his normal dwelling place. He was unclean because of the demon possession. Uh, really, every account of this, both in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tells us this man was unclean, unclean, unclean. Max Lucado, he describes this man this way. He says, wild hair, bloody wrist, scratched skin, fury encased in flesh, naked bedlam, arms flailing, voice screaming. Now, some of you moms are like, that's a normal Tuesday for me, right? <laughs> Especially if you're parents of twins like we are, you know, like that can be 
the normalcy of your life. But all joking aside, this man is a crazy person. In fact, he's the man you would probably, in, in today's day and age, we would avoid this type of person. Right? I mean, think about it. When you're sitting in your car in the parking lot or, uh, or, or driving and uh, you're stopped at a stoplight and there's that person with a little bit too crazy of hair and that look in his eye mumbling to himself, what do you normally do? You check the locks. Like, I gotta lock it. I mean, that, I imagine as the disciples, that's what I picture the disciples doing here. They, they show up and it says, right as Jesus steps on land, this man comes running naked. That's the first thing that would make me go, what is happening, right? He runs to Jesus naked, screaming. I mean, he, he has been harmed. He has scratches everywhere. The uh, book of Mark and Matthew both tell us that he was, the demons made him cut himself violently. So, so this man shows up, but what do we see? We don't see Jesus retreat. We see Jesus confront this man. We see Jesus beach the boat. It's, it's interesting. If you look at it, where they show up, where they put the boat and come out onto land, they are nearby cemeteries, tombs. That's where this man was living and nearby a huge herd of pigs. If you're a Jewish person, both of those things are considered unclean ritualistically. Both of them are gonna, when, when they go back, they're gonna have to completely, based upon the pharisaical laws that were put in place, they're gonna have to pretty much bathe head to toe, cleanse themselves before they do anything religious because of what is taking place here. And so Jesus steps into this place, not saying I'm gonna retreat from this uncleanliness, from this craziness, from all of what is going to take place here. No, we see Jesus step out and in love, see the man's spiritual condition and confront it. He confronts it. It reminds me of one of my favorite sayings, which is this, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to keep you that way. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to keep you that way. You can come to Jesus broken. He loves you even though you're broken. You can come to him wounded. He loves you even with your scars. You can come to Jesus just the way you are. He loves you in that state but he loves you way too much to keep you in that state. You come to him broken, he will mend you. You come to him wounded, he will heal you. The truth is, Jesus came to this area, I believe, with this one man in mind and what he was going to do to change this man's life. I believe that because this is the only person that gets touched. <laughs> now, we're gonna see in just a moment, he comes back to this area. But, but when he comes to this, it's almost like that story of, I must needs go through Samaria. I have to go to Samaria. Why? Well, there's a woman at a well that needed to be confronted. When, when Jesus sent them to the other side here, I believe he had this one man uh, in mind and what he was going to do to change this man's life. And, and when I think about it that way, I think, man, just as Jesus came to this demon-possessed man, he came to me. He found me in the middle of a lot of unclean things somewhere between a herd of pigs and a graveyard. And just as the demon-possessed man was destroying himself and being victimized by sin and powers that he didn't understand, so I was lost in the grip of sin, condemned to pay for my own sin, and gradually destroying myself one day at a time. And just as this demon-possessed man collapsed at Jesus' feet, in my life there came a day when I realized that's all that I could do. I can't be religious enough to get to God. I can't perform in a way that would get God to accept me in my sinfulness. I could only collapse 
at Jesus' feet. I had nothing to offer but everything to gain. I could do nothing to earn his love. I could only accept it. And once I accepted it, that changed everything. And gradually, one day at a time, Jesus continues to change me day by day. He changed this man in Gadara, this maniac. He changed me. He's changed many in this room today. And I I pray that if you're here today and you haven't yet, I, I pray that you would let him come into your life today and change you. Because the truth is that not only is Jesus powerful for you and loving to you, but he's transforming in you. Verse 34 and 35 says this, when they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. So they, they say, oh man, did you just see that? We gotta go tell everybody. They run into the city, into the surrounding area. They tell everyone and they went out to see what was done. All these people come out and it says this, and they came to Jesus and what did they find? They found the man out of whom the devils were departed sitting at the feet of Jesus. No longer running around crazy, sitting. Then it says, um, and clothed, no longer naked. He's got clothes on. And then it says, and in his right mind. In his right mind. And what a miracle. We see this wonderful transformation of grace that the presence of Jesus brought into this man's life. This miracle that we see changed the life of this man. Listen, God's miracles, Jesus' miracles were not just some magic tricks that he was doing while he was on this earth. His his, uh, miracles were redemptive. His miracle working rescued this man from the demons that bound him. His miracles were redemptive, but they were also revelatory. They, They showed people who he was. They showed his compassion, his love. And in this instant, the miracle shows his power to transform a life. His power to put everything back right again, to redeem this man. Now, I don't know how this uh, applies to you. It's going to apply to all of us in different ways. As I I said a moment ago, you're probably not demon-possessed as this man was, but what is it in your life that's out of sorts? What is it that's chaotic, that's tumultuous? Maybe in your past, what's in your life that is not at rest? The truth is when Jesus's presence comes into that chaos, he can put it right. He can bring you back to a position of peace and rest. This man, he's suddenly in his right mind. In in other words, he's back. I I picture the people that knew him beforehand maybe saying, man, is that guy clothed? I haven't seen him with clothes in so long. Is he sitting? Is, Is he actually listening to someone? I haven't seen him act like that in so long. He's back. And and, and the truth is, he's more himself now than he ever had been because he had encountered Jesus. He's uh, he's conversant and he's clear-headed. But I want us to notice the people's response to this transformation. Look at verse 36 and 37. It says, they also which saw it told them by what means he was possessed of the devil's Uh, uh, of the devils was healed. So those people came out and they see this man who they knew, they knew how he was acting and they see him acting completely different. This transformation has taken place and the people who saw it take place then go to them. No, listen, this is what happened. There was this conversation that took place. This man cast the demons out into the pigs. Uh, It's about that herd over there that had about 2,000 of them. All off, they're, they're all dead now. 
like tells them what took place. And then it tells us this, verse 37. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him, Jesus, to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. You know, there's really no indication in the text that, that they were... Uh, that they were mad about the pigs. Now, most likely they were. That was a big economic loss for them. Uh, in fact, that might have been a, a pretty bold statement to, because of their livelihood in the pigs and the area that this took place. But uh, there's, there's no really, real indication in the text that they were mad about the pigs. What it tells us is this. They sent Jesus away because they were afraid. They were fearful. They were shocked and in awe at the person and power of Jesus. And when they saw this man that the whole region had tried to get under control, when they saw what Jesus had done for him, they were afraid. And they began to implore Jesus to leave. You know, a lot of people who are not saved, who are unbelievers, it's really hard for them to process the transformation that takes place in the Christian's life when they got saved. I mean, think about it. How many of you maybe experienced when you got saved, people were all of a sudden like, what, did you like join a cult? Because you're just completely different. Like beforehand, it was completely okay. You went and you, you blew $5,000 uh, gambling it all away and, and their response was like, well, did you have fun? And now it's like you give money away to your church for some kind of fund or, or proce uh, process of building or missions or something like that. And they're like, what kind of maniac are you giving money to a church? They, they, it's hard for them to process the transformation that takes place in our lives. But, uh, but these people, when they process, process this change, when they're looking at this change, it says it terrified them. Why? I believe it terrified them because it was convicting they now realize they're in the presence of the one who is more powerful than the demonic power they witnessed in this man. So uh, now they have a choice. Do they submit to this Jesus, realizing that they need him just as much as the maniac needed him? Now, they might have needed him in a different way, but they no less needed Jesus than the maniac of Gadara needed them, and yet that's not how they respond. They rejected him. Here, here's what I'm getting at with that. There are people who no matter what the evidence is for Jesus, no matter how much truth is presented to them, they don't want God to rule their lives. He's too much of a threat to their own autonomy, to their own uh, decisions, to their own plans, to their own self-identifying. And for us as Christians, it's heartbreaking. I, I'm simply saying that if you allow Jesus to transform your life, it might not make sense to unbelievers. But I can tell you this, the joy, the peace, the, the right-mindedness that you will experience from the presence of Jesus in your life, it will affect other people. It will. Now, whether they accept Jesus Christ as a result of it or not, that's on them. But the truth is this, the transformation that takes place in your life will affect other people. And I believe Jesus knew this because of what he calls this man to do. What we see in the life of this man is that Jesus was not only powerful for him and, and loving to him and transforming in him, but he was also purposeful through him. Jesus is purposeful through us. Look at verse 38 and 39. It says, Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. 
But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And that's interesting to me. Because if you study the life of Jesus, up to this point, we see Jesus saying this, follow me, follow me, follow me. Some did and some didn't. But then here we say him, see him say this, no, don't come with me, go. He, he was sending him out. That he, he sends him back to his own house, to his own family, and to this region. Jesus had a calling for this man to spread the gospel all throughout Decapolis, this area. And, and so this man was sent to a very Gentile, Greek, pagan, superstitious region. In, in essence, he was a missionary. He's not called that, but that's really what he was, one of the first sent missionaries. Go and tell what Jesus has done in your life. Go tell how God has changed your life to your own family, to your own house, and to everyone that you can. This man who was caught up in darkness, brought into the light, and then sent back into the darkness, holding the light. This man, he was armed with no further education, no theological or doctrinal training, no philosophy of ministry. He didn't have to get a degree before Jesus sent him out to do anything. He didn't say, okay, now you got to get this doctrine of the Trinity down. I'm actually, I am God, but there's also God the Father. He didn't go through all of that with him. He just said this, go and tell people what happened in your life. Do it. And, and I, I know it sounds intimidating for us to witness we hear things like this and we go, yeah, but I, I, what if someone asks me a question? What if someone asks me a question that I don't know the answer to? Here's the thing. That's going to happen almost any time that you witness, even if you're a pastor. One of my favorite things about being on staff that I can't do anymore is I used to, if someone asked me a question I didn't know, I'd go, man, my pastor has a great answer for that. I know he does. I heard him say it once. You should set up a meeting with him. I would like def defer people to him. Uh, but, uh, but now as a pastor, I have to say, you know, has a great answer for that. Jesus. I'll find out from the word of God and I'll come back and show you. The truth is you can do that too. In fact, if you do that, here's what it does. It sets up a second opportunity to share the gospel with them. It does. You go, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question. That's a great question. I'm going to go and look that up. I'm going to research it and I'll come back and tell you. Now you have a second meeting to invest the word of God into their life. And it, it's intimidating. It can be intimidating. But here's what I want to say. Don't underestimate the power of just your testimony. Don't underestimate just the power of your testimony. This man, all that he goes to proclaim is what Jesus had done in his life. And the book of Mark tells us not only did he do, do it all throughout the city of Gadara, like Luke tells us, the book of Mark tells us he did it to all of Decapolis. Decapolis was an area of 10 city states, most of them on the other side of the Jordan River, all going down. The only one that was on the, the uh, western side of the Jordan was Beth Shean. The rest of them were over here on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan. And so uh, he, he, it tells us he went to all of those 10 city states, declaring what Jesus had done. And here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. By one guy we actually see something amazing take place. I'm, I'm gonna go to the book of Matthew for just a moment and see what Matthew says took place the next time Jesus comes back here. Remember, he's sent away, but Jesus comes back to this area, and this is what it says in the book of Matthew, chapter 15. It says, and great multitudes 
came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. But how did all these people know that Jesus was a miracle worker who could do something amazing in their life? Well, before Jesus got back to this place, there was this one guy running around this whole area saying, hey, you remember me? You remember me? Hey, you, you remember, hey, Steve, you remember when you tried to chain me up and I broke him right in front of you? You remember that? I, I, just imagine all the conversations. You remember what, God, what was happening in my life? You saw me. You saw what was taking place. You see the scars. Guess what's different? I met a man named Jesus. And as he proclaims what Jesus did for him all throughout this area, the next time Jesus comes, multitudes are like, if, they, if he did it in their life, he can do it in yours. Get to Jesus. They're casting, they're throwing him down at his feet. It says, get, get to Jesus. He can help you. And as a result of what Jesus do, what does it say? It says, they glorified the God of Israel. By one guy, multitudes come to Jesus and glorify God. And what an amazing account of what can happen in the life of someone who encounters Jesus. How, how does this take place? It takes place because Jesus is God. And he is powerful for me, he is loving to me, he's transforming in me, and he is purposeful through me. That's the power of Jesus. You say, okay, that was a great story, what do we do with it? I want to give us three action steps this morning. How do we apply a story like this? The first thing I would say is this, and I encourage you, at least take one of these action steps today. The first one I would say is do this, accept the transforming grace of Jesus for you. Maybe you're here today and you're not yet a Christian. You're not saved. You never accepted Jesus' free gift of salvation on your behalf. You've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for your sin. If that's you today, I invite you today. You can know. You can know that your sin has been dealt with by Jesus' work on the cross, that because of what he has done for you, that if you simply by faith accept his salvation gift, that you will enter into a relationship with him and see this change take place in your life that then will consistently change you through the rest of your life. And all the way till one day, you're glorified before God himself, spending eternity with him. If you're here today, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. The first thing I would say, you could, you could put this message into practice is this. God, I understand I'm a sinner There are things that bind me and I can do nothing to fix my sinful state. But Lord, you sent your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me, to pay that penalty for sin so that I might be with you forever. And you accept that gift today. I encourage you, if that's you, to come today. Someone will show you from the word of God in just a moment. We'll have an invitation. You could do it right there in your seat. Accept Jesus's transforming grace for you. The second thing you could do with this message is that you bring those things which bind you right to Jesus's feet. You bring those things that bind you to Jesus's feet, whatever it may be, you bring it to Jesus. Maybe you have some, this, this uh, pride that is gripping your heart and as a result, it's, it's ruining so many of your relationships in your life and you say, I need to bring this before Jesus. I can't get over myself 
by myself. I need the transforming grace of God. Maybe you have the fear of man gripping you. You just care too much about what other people think. The book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of man is a snare. It's trap. It binds you. It enslaves you to the opinions of every other person. But those who trust in Jesus, those who trust in God, they are safe, that proverb says. Maybe you're hearing the fear of man is gripping your heart and you say, I can't get over this. You need to bring it to Jesus. Now, now bringing some of these things to Jesus, maybe it's an addiction of some kind that you need to bring to him. Some of these uh, things may also require finding help and counseling on top of that, but Jesus can free you from what is keeping you bound. Bring those things to Jesus. And then lastly, I'd say we could take from this story, this application, to share the story of how Jesus has changed you. And determine in your heart this week, you know what? I'm gonna share my testimony of how God changed my heart with someone just once this week. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a, a coworker or a family member, maybe even a stranger. Maybe you wanna make a social media post or a video or something, just somehow commit to saying, and I'm gonna share the testimony of how God changed my life. Don't underestimate the power of your testimony of how God has changed you. However you do it, don't underestimate that power of your testimony. But however God's spoken to us this morning, I pray that we'd respond to him. Lord, that, that if the Lord has called you to, uh, to come to him and accept his free gift of salvation, that transforming grace, that you'd say, today's the day I'm gonna make that decision. And if you have something holding you captive in your life, that a, a thought or a worry or, or sin, that you would say, Lord, I need your help. I've tried too long on my own. I need to bring it to you and see you do this work in my heart. Or maybe we'd say, Lord, and that guy can do it. Lord, I know that you can use my testimony to, to change other people's lives.